from Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. I'm Gary Myers, and this is the GOAT, Tom Brady. Episode 7, Brady versus Manning. I got the heart of a champion, most definite, better beware. Down for the count, but I bounce back with a vengeance, I'm bad. No filler, break records like Thriller. Top filler, they call me the Thriller from Manila. The greatest rivalries in sports, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, who had three of the greatest fights in history. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, who seemed to face off in the playoffs every year. Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer, the greatest rivalry in golf history. And of course, Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning. Here's Peyton. You get super focused and you can't prepare enough because you know it's going to be a dog fight. I mean, I've always felt like it was a pretty good two-headed monster coming at me between, you know, arguably one of, one of the best coaches of all time and certainly a great defensive coach, and then Tom, you know, uh, at the quarterback position. So uh, um, it was it was always tough. And so, yeah, you, you grinded to get ready for that game because uh, you knew you had to be on top of your stuff. Brady versus Manning is the best rivalry in NFL history. That, of course, is why I wrote a book about it. Ultra-competitive head-to-head matchups of Brady and Manning define this era of the NFL. In a sport all about team, Brady versus Manning transcended it. They met 17 times with Brady holding an 11-6 edge. Manning beat Brady the last three times they met in the AFC Championship game, the last two times when he's playing for the Broncos, which allowed him to save face when the final numbers were tabulated. Brady beat Manning the first two times they faced each other in the playoffs when Manning was playing for the Colts. And he beat Manning in three of the four regular season games they faced each other when Manning was in Denver. And when you add it all up, Brady just about doubled Manning in victories in the head-to-head battles. Manning may be the best regular season quarterback in NFL history, but Brady is the best playoff quarterback in NFL history. And because quarterbacks should ultimately be judged by their rings, Brady is the GOAT. The Super Bowl score in the Brady versus Manning competition is the one that matters most. Brady, nine appearances, six championships. Manning, four appearances, two championships. In this episode, I'm going to detail the friendship nobody knew about and the hoops I had to jump through to get Brady and Manning to cooperate with me when I was writing my book. Too bad hoop jumping is not an Olympic sport. I had a lot of practice and actually got pretty good at it. In the next episode, I will go on the field and explain how Brady and Manning, the greatest and one of the greatest, playing at the same time, was great for the NFL as they brought out the best in each other and became appointment viewing. Here's a comment from a conversation I had with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell as we crossed Park Avenue one day after having lunch in New York City. 
how good have they been for the league, you know, to have them playing two of the greatest of all time playing at the same time? Well, it's been great for fans and uh, for the game of football because not only are they great performers, it's, it's almost what they do off the field. This is it distinguishes them. He's even more special. They're, they're leaders. They're uh, the, maybe the hardest working uh, individuals and players. Nobody outworks them. They prepare like nobody else. And I think they have that impact on their teams. And they, they're they humble in the sense that they recognize the value of the team. They want their teams to, to, to take the same approach to the game of football. And they're great ambassadors to the game because they love the game of football so much. Have they been good for business? Oh, yeah. Of course. I mean, you know, people love to watch that. What is it, 15 times, I guess, since they've had the... Brady Manning, that's great, but it, it just in any given week, you know, to be able to see those guys perform because they are just such great players and they, they've lifted their teams. Football can be a faceless sport. Players wear helmets and they switch teams often. Brady and Manning were instrumental in the growth of the NFL by giving it a real focal point and helping to turn it into a 16 billion-dollar industry. Brady and Manning were the two faces of the league. Here's Tom on Peyton. I think we've definitely become friends over the years, and I think there's really a mutual appreciation for each other because you know what it takes. So, and we're about the same age, and we're about the same point in our life and experiences, and I I don't think many people can really relate to what's going on in our life. Right. Good, bad, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. But you know, he probably has a lot of the same regimens and stresses and ups and downs as I do. Right. So I think there's a lot of comfort in being yourself around someone. And I've always really been able to be myself around him. And I know he's always himself around me. We laugh a lot. And here's Peyton on Tom. Well, I've been playing against Tom for a long time. We've... Um, you know, spent some times together at uh, you know various banquets or you know golf tournaments that have come up, and so yeah, you, you know, so you do form you know a friendship as well. Besides just a you know a football you know handshaking a guy after a game, and so uh, I have enjoyed that. You know, you know he and I have had a chance to you know sh you know it's kind of you sort of it's that fine line between you know asking questions that you know, you know that can benefit training in the off season. At the same time, you always try to protect some secrets, you know. I mean, got, you know, so I think he and I have had that healthy respect that never of, you know, crossing the line, asking something that's, you know, a little too, you know, football private, you know, for his team as for my team. At the same time, um, you know, you're always trying to find ways to improve, to keep playing, to get better. And so, you know, there's nobody really better to talk to. John Elway versus Dan Marino was considered a great rivalry. But was it? Do you know how many times they faced each other in their long careers? Three. And two of them came in Elway's final season in 1998, when they met in the playoffs for the first and only time. Elway beat Marino and went on to win his second Super Bowl on Marino's home field in Miami. When I told Brady that Elway and Marino met only three times, here was his reaction. Really? Uh, How's that possible? 
If you throw out 2000 when Tom was a backup and 2008 when Brady suffered a season-ending knee injury in the opener against the Chiefs, and toss aside 2011 when Manning missed the entire season with a neck injury, they met 17 times over 13 seasons, an awful lot considering only in 2001 did they play in the same division before the Colts moved from the AFC East to the AFC South. Their teams finished in first place most years, so it matched up due to the NFL's formula schedule, and they met five times in the playoffs. If one of them was Magic Johnson and the other was Larry Bird, who would be who? I think Brady is Magic. There's more flair and creativity to his game. Manning is Bird, methodical and relentless. Either way, comparing the Brady-Manning rivalry to Magic Bird is the highest compliment a player in a team sport can receive. Brady likes that he was paired with Manning, and they can be compared to the football version of Magic and Bird. Here's Tom. I definitely think that that's a very flattering, you know, thing. I mean, because I think so highly of him. Yeah. You know, so when people say, well, you know, you guys are comparable, I mean, that's a very flattering thing. And it's not why we played the game. That's not what motivates me. It's, you know, winning and losing motivates me. It's not to be considered or a legacy. And honestly, I could care less about any yeah. of that. I just want to win. I just want to win. That's what makes me feel the best. And my days are committed to that. You know, my off seasons are committed to that. I try to figure out what I need to do better so I could help us win. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what I think about. Peyton, your thoughts? I, I think it's hard to compare football, you know, to basketball. Uh, you know, basketball, when I mean, you're guarding each other, you know, you're playing offense and defense at the same time. You know, I think certainly, you know, the Colts and the Patriots were, I mean, basically a division rival, you know, mm-hmm. for, for two teams that weren't in the same division. Right. I mean, we, we left the AFC East and I think, oh, two. I mean, we played them twice in 03, twice in 04, once in 05. So I'm saying you were playing twice in 06. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was like a division rival. Maybe people couldn't understand. We were both winning the division at the same time. And if we didn't win the division, you know, we were having, it was our turn to play, you know, the East. And so, and we were both playing good. And we we had pretty good, you know, continuity. And Brady and I were both the quarterbacks. You know, Indy went through, you know, they obviously had Bill. We had, you know, Coach Dungey, Jim Caldwell, Jim Moore, you know, just transition. But it was the same culture with Paulie mm-hmm. in there, you know, with me playing quarterback. And so, yeah, there's some great games. And it definitely was a robbery. Um, but, you know, it's not, not for me. I, I could never use those words like Magic and Bird. I mean, Tom, other people describe it that way. That's their choice. But I, I had great respect for Tom. I knew I was going to have to try to play well in order to beat the Patriots because, A, you know, they were going to be extremely tough to play against. They were extremely well coached, and the Brady was going to, you know, their quarterback, so you had to try to play well. And you, know, you, you always knew that was the challenge. Tom and Peyton's friendship extended to their fathers. Archie Manning and Tom Brady Sr. developed a routine of texting every Monday morning during the season to check up on each other, and as Tom Sr. says, to let each other know the kids are all right. We'll be right back with more of the GOAT Tom Brady in just a moment.
The morning after the Broncos were pounded 43-8 by the Seahawks in Super Bowl 48, Tom Sr. made a point of texting Archie to let him know how proud he was of Peyton. Here's Tom Sr. Just to recap, Tom Sr. said if you had two sons playing quarterback in the NFL, like Archie did for all those years with Peyton and Eli, he would have had ulcer surgery. He's a funny guy and very outspoken, and I often thought he verbalized during the Deflategate scandal what his son was thinking but could not say. Archie and Tom Sr. were texting for years until they finally met when they bumped into each other at a restaurant in San Francisco before Super Bowl 50. Peyton and the Broncos were playing against the Carolina Panthers in what was the final game of Peyton's career. Tom Sr. lives in nearby San Mateo, and Tom was being honored before the game, along with the other Super Bowl MVPs. Archie Manning is one of the nicest people I've met in the football world. He's genuine when he says he's happy that Peyton and Tom are good friends and linked together. I know he likes Tom. So I, I have a feeling in a way he's kind of proud of it, you know, the fact that they are recognized as certainly two of the top quarterbacks of an era. I, I think he's proud of that. And, and, and so I'm glad he likes Tom. I'm glad Tom likes him. I'm glad they have a friendship. Because otherwise, it wouldn't be good if it wasn't. If they didn't like each other, you know, all of a sudden it's just, just this built-in I've always prided myself on being transparent with my readers and listeners. I'm going to give you some insight into what it took to get my Brady vs. Manning book written, which in turn will give you insight into them as people. Coming up with a book idea is not easy. You must be passionate about the subject because it's an incredibly time-consuming project. I wanted something meaningful that could stand the test of time. And I was always intrigued by Magic and Bird. What was the NFL equivalent? Star versus Unitas? Bradshaw versus Staubach? Montana versus Elway? Rice versus Sanders? 
Brady versus Manning was better than all of them. I covered so many of their games. This story was still happening in real time when I did my research, but they already had created so much history against each other. Good guys, good talkers, great idea. My editor loved it and wanted to sign a contract right away. I told him I wanted to make sure Tom and Peyton would cooperate before I committed. My editor was so excited he said he would take the book either if neither one spoke with me. I signed the contract but still felt it was imperative to sit down with them to tell the story from the inside in addition to me interviewing the people who knew them best. I went to Patriots camp in the summer of 2013. I knew Brady from the Super Bowls and covering so many Jets-Patriots games. After he finished doing a group interview, I asked him if we can talk off to the side and I told him about my idea. He liked it and promised to sit down with me and suggested I arrange a day and time through the Patriots Public Relations Department. Brady was in. That was a relief. Two weeks later, the Patriots called and said Tom could meet with me the last week of August before the final preseason game. That was exactly when I was driving to Ann Arbor to take my son for his freshman year at Michigan, which coincidentally is Brady's school. By the time we rescheduled it, it was mid-November. No problem. I had been busy doing a lot of other interviews. Stacy James, the Patriots Vice President of Media Relations, offered me two options. I can get together with Tom at Gillette Stadium in a meeting room, or I can ride with him for the 45-minute drive to downtown Boston, which is where he was living at the time. I thought Tom would be distracted driving and talking. Stacy told me that Tom did all his conference calls from his car and was very comfortable with it. Besides, he said, if we did it at the stadium, Brady would be in a hurry to get home to see his kids and I would be lucky to get 20 minutes. I opted for the car ride. Stacy told me to meet Brady at 4 p.m. at the stadium and to call when I arrived. It was absolutely freezing out, a harsh early taste of New England winter. James' assistant, Aaron Salkin, met me in the parking lot when I pulled up and brought me inside. He said to come outside in 15 minutes and meet Brady outside the player's entrance. I did that. No Brady after 15 minutes. I called Aaron. He said Brady's meeting was running late and to hang out by the entrance in the parking lot and he'd walk Tom out when he was ready. There was no chance of that happening. I'm telling you, it was bitter cold. I wasn't going to do that even for Tom Brady. I went back inside and asked Aaron to call me when Tom was ready. Ten minutes later, he told me Tom was about to exit the locker room. I met him by the door and we walked to his car. It was a dark sedan. I can't remember exactly what type of car it was other than it was very nice. No surprise there. Clean inside, seemed brand new. No Starbucks coffee cups in the cup holder. No garbage on the floor. No air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror. It was very apparent the car was not used for transporting his kids to soccer practice. Tom was living in an apartment in downtown Boston at the time while waiting for construction on his new mansion to be completed. The house was in Brookline, literally on the property next door to Robert Kraft. I was thankful for the first time in my life that on the ride with Brady, there was lots of traffic. It gave me some extra time. Tom gave thoughtful and in-depth responses 
to my questions. I brought two tape recorders. I didn't want to take any chances on an electronic malfunction. After I turned off my recorders, we sat in Tom's car for 10 minutes, and he asked me questions about the book. Did I talk to Peyton yet? Who else was I interviewing? He looked me in the eye and was genuinely interested in my answers. He then dropped me off at a hotel so I can catch a cab back to my car at the stadium. $80 ride, by the way. As Brady pulled up in front of the hotel, the valet came over to the driver's side window and asked Tom if he wanted him to park his car for him. Tom politely said he was just dropping me off. When I got out of the car, the valet came over to me and had this look on his face. Was that? He didn't even have to finish the sentence. Yes, I said. Tom and I spoke once or twice after that for some follow-up questions. We exchanged emails, and he always was responsive and cooperative. Getting Peyton on board was more challenging, which really surprised me. I first met Peyton the day before the 1998 draft in New York, when the NFL would rent a boat for a cruise around Manhattan. The NFL would invite a half dozen players to the draft, along with their families, and made the players available to the media during the two-hour trip on the Hudson and East Rivers. After the formal interviews, I spent time chatting with Peyton and would then see him over the years in the playoffs, or if he showed up at one of his brother Eli's games when he had a bye week. He always remembered my name, but he does that with just about everyone. Once before a Jets-Colts game, I asked the Colts PR department if I can get Peyton on the phone for a longer story I was doing. The first time he called, I was in the Jets' locker room doing interviews, and I asked him to hold on for a minute so I can walk back to the press room. Don't bother, he said. He apologized for calling earlier than planned and said he would call me back in 30 minutes. He called back exactly when he said, but just to say Coach Jim Mora had just moved up the team meeting and asked if he can call me in an hour. No way he's calling me three times, right? But sure enough, one hour later, Peyton called me. This time I was in my car. I asked him if he can just wait a second so I can pull over. And we talked for 30 minutes. I couldn't believe how accommodating he was. As a result, I thought setting up an interview with Peyton for my book would be easy. He was the best interview in the league. At first, through the Broncos PR department, he said no, that my subject would be better to explore after he and Tom had retired. Since he was not my editor... It did not deter me. I got the message to Peyton that I would be doing this book either way. I figured I would try again in the spring at one of the Broncos' low-key off-season workouts. I told Tom what Peyton had said, and he offered to call him for me. I told him I would let him know if that was necessary. But it was really nice of him to offer. But first, the Broncos were in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks in New York, after beating Brady and the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Manning was voted regular season MVP after throwing an NFL record 55 touchdown passes, and the Broncos set a single season record for points scored. Denver was trounced by Seattle 43-8. On the very first play of the game, Manning lined up in the shotgun, and the snap sailed over his head into the end zone. At least Denver recovered for a safety instead of Seattle recovering for a touchdown. But it just got worse from there for Denver. Many of the Broncos were saying in the interview room after the game they were embarrassed losing by 35 points. It was an honest answer nobody 
could argue with. So when Peyton made his way to the podium, I asked how embarrassing it was for such a prideful player to be part of such a poor performance in the Super Bowl. I was standing about five feet away from Manning and a bit to his right. He looked at me when I was asking the question and quickly turned away when he answered it. His face grew red. The veins were popping out of his surgically repaired neck. It's not embarrassing at all, he said. I never used that word. There are a lot of professional football players in that locker room who put a lot of hard work and effort into it, to being here and playing in that game. The word embarrassing is an insulting word to tell you the truth. Honestly, I was surprised by his reaction. I thought embarrassing was a lot softer than humiliating or despicable, dreadful, shameful, or mortifying, or suggesting his team was so outclassed that it quit before it even got to halftime. Was I being harsh? I don't think so, but hey, I was a New York tabloid columnist, and I usually asked tough questions. Peyton knew I was doing a book, but of course he wasn't thinking about it at the time. But it sure was going through my mind. I thought I asked a fair question. He already didn't like my book project, and now I just blew any chance I had to interview him. That's all I was thinking about. And then I did something that was against my better judgment. I saw Peyton leaving the stadium through a back area after his interview session ended. He was just a few feet away from me. Hey, Peyton, I said. Sorry, bad choice of words. Don't worry about it, he said. I was sick to my stomach that I apologized. Literally, I was really upset with myself. What was I sorry for? Doing my job? But I had an interview I needed to secure, and being humble never hurt anybody, and I promise it did not impact the Super Bowl column I wrote about Peyton Manning and the Broncos and how they embarrassed themselves in that game. When I contacted Broncos PR boss Patrick Smythe one month later, he wasn't optimistic Peyton would do the interview. Smythe was there when I asked Peyton a question at the Super Bowl and was walking with him when I gave my reluctant apology. The Mannings are fiercely protective of their brand and not inclined to take part in projects they don't control. This book was not in collaboration with Manning or Brady. And since Brady clearly had the edge in the rivalry, Manning perhaps didn't want to be portrayed as second best. And now he perhaps was also holding a grudge. We'll be right back with more of the GOAT, Tom Brady, in just a moment. Smythe is savvy and said he would tell Manning that had already spoken with Brady and would not make him look good for his voice to not be heard in the book. He called back a short time later and gave me a date in June to be in Denver to meet with Peyton after an OTA practice day. I flew to Denver the night before the interview. It was scheduled for around noon. I arrived at the Broncos facility an hour early just in case John Fox ran a shorter practice. It ended right on time, but first Manning kept me waiting 45 minutes as he conducted an interview with the Denver Post. Finally, it was my turn. We were standing in a hallway. The cafeteria was to the left and the locker room was straight ahead. I asked Peyton if he'd like to sit down in the cafeteria and do this leisurely. He said, nah, the hallway was good. That was a bad sign. I knew I was in trouble. 
Smythe told me Peyton would give me 15 minutes. No big deal. I knew Peyton. Once you ask him a question, he just keeps going. I had a list of 20 questions, was hoping Peyton would give me 45 minutes, which in Manning time would be good for about 10 questions. Smythe was standing behind me. Peyton was in front of me. I made it through my first five questions at warped speed. Peyton had me on the clock. He was keeping time in his head. Smythe was keeping time on his watch. Manning was short on anecdotes. At 15 minutes, I received a two-minute warning from Smythe and then made it all the way to question number 16. Peyton stuck out his right hand. See you later, he said. I traveled from New York to Denver for 17 minutes in a hallway. Hey, it's the price of doing business. The book was a New York Times bestseller. Meanwhile, I reported this spring that one of the reasons Tom Brady left the Patriots after 20 seasons was a deteriorating relationship with offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. Brady fired back at me on his Instagram account. He said, please stop the nonsense. Please be more responsible with reporting. 19 years together and brothers for life. And then he did at real Josh MCD, Josh McDaniels, and he had a heart emoji. I think Tom knows I'm a very responsible reporter. And if I was to reveal my source, which I never do, nobody would question my information. My guess is Tom's personal relationship with McDaniels was fine, and I never said it wasn't. And now that he was out of New England, he was just protecting it. It was his professional relationship that I was talking about. Oh well, it's obviously hard to keep millionaire quarterbacks happy. Anyway, remember when I talked about the first time Brady and Manning met before Brady's first career start in 2001? Brady relayed the story of Manning introducing himself to Tom during warm-ups by saying, hey, I'm Peyton, and Brady thought to himself, no shit. I asked Manning what he remembered about that exchange. Do you recall that his first start after Bledsoe got hurt in 01 was against you guys? Uh, yeah, I remember, yeah, we, we, we were pretty terrible. You know, Tom started, we, we were kind of in transition, you know, that year. We uh, ended up being Jim Morris last year, right. and Tony got there the next year. So we weren't a very good, uh, good football team that year. Tell me if you remember this exchange. He sees it out of the field warming up, getting ready for his first start. You came up to him and said, hey, Tom, I'm Peyton. And he told me what he was thinking to himself was, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I remember that exactly, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I like when people introduce right. themselves to me because I meet a lot of people, and so it, it helps. And so I don't assume uh, anybody uh, you know knows who I am automatically. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of how I start to do it, I guess. So it's funny. They later became each other's support system. As such high-profile players. They shared many of the same experiences. When Brady tore his ACL in the first game of the 2008 season, Manning was constantly checking in with him. When Manning missed the entire 2011 season following his fourth neck surgery in what turned out to be his final season in Indianapolis, Brady regularly reached out to him. The rivalry was just on the field. Their friendship was very real. Here's Peyton. I think you kind of find out during those times kind of who's, 
sort of who's with you. You know, everybody's kind of wants to talk to you when you're playing well. Right. That's down. When you kind of go into a tough time, or, you know, like being injured sometimes, people, uh, uh, it's, it's pretty common in the NFL. And it's, I, don't, I don't really know how you avoid it, but they kind of look at you funny. You know, they kind of look at you like, you know, you're not playing, you know, you know what, what are you doing here almost? And I don't care who you are. And so, and Tom and I were a little different. Tom wasn't really, I, I stayed right there. Tom, I think we had a way. Uh, uh, you know, he didn't go to the games. Like yeah, so I was more, I was there every day, at, you know, going to games and things like that. But at the same time, you know, you can feel, you know, somewhat alone, I guess. And so, I guess, uh, and that had never really happened to me before that point. So, I was, but I've always kind of heard that. And so, yeah, you kind of reach out to him, tell him, hey, good luck, and check in on him. And so, yeah, and so when I got injured, you know, the same deal. And so, it was kind of, um, you know, he kind of had that same chance uh, to do that for me. And so, hearing from him and hearing from different guys, you know, during that time, yeah, it, it, I think it does mean something to you. When Brady owned a home in the Los Angeles area a few years ago, he would spend part of his off-season in Southern California. One day, the phone rang. It was Peyton. Here's Tom's recollection. He let me know I, he was in town. Yeah. So um, he said, I'm in L.A. If you're around, let me know. So, you know, we got together. He came out the year before I wasn't out there. I mean, one, in one way or another, we always find a way to cross paths. Um, you know, whether we're able to actually do anything about it. You know, sometimes it doesn't work, but yeah. it's a neat friendship to have. You know, we don't talk. We exchange texts throughout the season. You know, good game, good luck. You know, I wouldn't say I really root for them to win. <laughs> you know, because of, of you know, the, the, the impact it has on our team yeah. in our season. But, you know, I always want him to do well. Tom invited Peyton and his wife, Ashley, over to the house for dinner with him and Giselle. The Mannings accepted the invitation. Here's Peyton. No, it was good. We had fun. You know, Ashley has known Tom, um, you know, for uh, quite some time. That was really our first time getting to know uh, his wife, and it was it was very it was great. It was just the four of us, and uh, you know, like I said, it's it was in the off season, so you know, not not a ton of. Uh, of uh, football talk, just you know, some couple, just two, you know, two couples spending some time together. It was, uh, See, it's funny. He told me that you guys talked about football, and the wives talked about the wife. Well, not to give Yeah, I mean, like the four. I mean, that's when we were together. We yeah. tried not to do it. But yeah, I mean, he and I. Uh, I think naturally, when, when he and I are alone, you know, yeah. playing golf or. Um, yeah, so probably even before we had dinner. Yeah, I mean, obviously, okay. it's pretty natural that football's going to come up. Did Giselle cook dinner that night? Or they, they had a good, you know, they had a shit somebody to cook it for us. I would have loved for my tape recorder to have been invited to that dinner. Can you imagine the stories that were told? Here's what Tom had to say. We've always kind of spoken the same language. We've always kind of enjoyed being around one another. And we still are today, so. Manning and his wife and two kids remained in Denver after his four seasons with the Broncos. When Brady arrived in Denver for the Bucks-Broncos game the third week of the 2020 season, he had a surprise visitor. Manning is a regular at Broncos home games, and he played for Bucks coaches Bruce Arians, Tom Moore, and Clyde Christensen when they were all with the Colts. Manning has two kids visited with Brady before the game and with those Bucks coaches. I asked Brady if football fans would be surprised to find out he and Manning hung out together at the height of their rivalry. He's a great person and a good friend. So, you know, when you're competing, it's a whole different story. Sure. It's not like, 
you know, we're boxers and we're throwing punches at one another. We've never had been on the same field at the same time. Right, so right. I have a lot of real mutual, you know, respect for him and what he's able to do. So I think there's just more of an appreciation. So now that I've established these guys were great friends off the field, what about their battles on the field? On the next episode of The GOAT, Tom Brady, I will get into the intense Brady versus Manning rivalry, and I will share the amazing story of the time Peyton called younger brother Eli to ask the New York Giants defense to prevent Brady from breaking his touchdown record in the final game of the 2007 season. Peyton was told a mission accomplished would come with a huge price tag, dinner at an expensive New York steakhouse for the entire Giants defense. Tune in next time to find out if Peyton picked up the check. I'm Gary Myers, and thanks so much for listening. The GOAT, Tom Brady, is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This season is written and hosted by me, Gary Myers. Executive producers Scott Waxman and Mark Francis for Diversion Podcasts and Sean Titone for iHeartRadio. Story editing by Scott Waxman with editorial direction from John Tuttle. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Archival research by Brianne Murphy. Verna Fields is our technical producer, and our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. Find Diversion on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Diversion Pods. And let us know, what do you think of the show? Send us your questions, your comments, and even your critiques. That's Diversion Pods on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Diversion Podcasts.